Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today, our passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We will read it, discuss it, and find uh, some of its connections to our to our sermon this Sunday. Matthew 1, 18-25 Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I've mentioned before that I really like Craig Keener's commentary on the book of Matthew, and I'm going to turn to it again to to pull out all of our background information. Uh, we know that we're, we've been doing our Advent series at Westgate, and we have uh, discussed Zechariah and Elizabeth, and this week we'll move on to Joseph. And so these are um, the scriptures we're focusing on this week in our readings and our podcast are, are centered around Joseph. And Joseph, uh, man, I, I don't know if we talk about him enough. Uh, I'm sure we don't just because of the there is a limited you know quantity of verses that are dedicated to Joseph. But Joseph just shows a lot of um, not just obedience. That's that's clear from this text. But what's also in this text is his his desire for justice and his desire um, for uh, or his, his ability to empathize and show compassion towards people who have done him wrong. So there's a lot here that we can take as Christians. He's an exemplar in our faith for our faith in that way. There's two major points um, that that our section brings out that Matthew seems to place um, some some weight in, and that is that Jesus's birth fulfills Scripture, which is man that's that's all throughout the book of Matthew, uh, the Gospels definitely as a whole, but Matthew in particular, he really wants to show that Old Testament Scripture is being fulfilled, and and we also have the lessons just from Joseph's obedience. Uh, in a culture that values the wisdom of age, uh, that is the the age that Joseph and Mary were living in, Joseph and Mary's youth make their piety all the more striking. You'd expect this from older characters, and so the fact you're reading younger characters doing the right thing, showing obedience, showing um, a willingness to submit to unfavorable circumstances, and in Joseph's case, a really embarrassing uh, situation. The fact that they're able to show wisdom is sh- would have would have been really apparent to, to readers. 
Uh, men would have often at this time married around the ages of 18 to 20 uh, after they had finished their schooling and they would probably already had a couple of years experience in whatever trade they were working in. Women would marry as early as 12. Uh, as soon as uh, puberty was over, they had the ability to bear children. Um, they would they would start looking for parents to start looking for their daughters suitable uh, suitable matches. But there there's plenty of I wouldn't say plenty. There are also evidence of women marrying as late as twenty, and that not being gay. You know, you know you're not a social ill uh, being that old and not, and not being married. But uh, I would say the typical age, which you see from a lot of the background material, especially what Keener presents to, is you know, 12 to 14 would have been that average age. So hard to say where Joseph and Mary were exactly, but if we just want to take the average, we've got an 18 to 20-year-old making this decision based off of uh, his betrothal to a 12 to 14-year-old. So really odd in our eyes, but uh, this would have been quite common. Matthew also seems to portray a couple here who far from being immoral before marriage, continue to model sexual restraint. Uh, Couples would typically marry one year after their betrothal. Uh, We don't know how long Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Uh, It seems to be that as soon as Joseph receives this message from the angel that they get married. But who knows, you know, how long that was up until that that point. Um, And then even after they get married... They wait to consummate the marriage, as would have been Jewish tradition. Uh, you you go in and um, have sex with your wife for the first time, and as 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 odd as this is, you would then take the marriage sheets out to show, look, my wife was 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 a virgin. Um, all of these customs are thrown out the window, and things are done very different for Joseph and Mary. Instead, they wait till after Jesus is born uh, to consummate the marriage. We also get from our text that while Matthew allows divorce under some circumstances, I say that because of the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew chapter 5, where there is an exception clause to divorce, uh, that's not found in Mark and Luke. So keep that in mind when I make this point here, or how Keener makes the point. Uh, While Matthew allows that divorce is just under some circumstances, he shares the Jewish and biblical view that infidelity is, is always unjust. So there's there's a real need to wrestle with the situation that's going on here because um, contextually speaking, culturally speaking, that there what there would have been a real issue if Mary actually had committed adultery, had had sex with a with a with a man, like a physical person, and Joseph found out about it, Joseph would need to have actually done something. And maybe we lose that because we don't understand the severity, maybe that's a good word to use, severity of betrothal. Um, men were, were meant to protect their daughter's virginity. It was not just for her, because that was, you know, you, you love your daughter, you want to protect her in that way, but it was also for the sense of, of further progeny. If you want your daughter to be able to have children, you need to make sure she's able to get married in this culture in order to get her married. There are th- certain things you need to abide by. One of those is uh, this: men were looking for young virgins to marry. So there's, there's that context that's going on here. 
Betrothal was a way to secure that. And betrothal is only dissolved through divorce or death. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you're normally going to be betrothed for about a year. Uh, if if Mary truly did break this vow, this in a sense marriage, even though we we would say it's a betrothal, they would you've used the term betrothal. It had the same consequences as like as a marriage. Only way to get out of it, divorce or death. If you break it, there's there's punishment for it. That sort of thing. There's so so if Mary truly did this, there's no second chance for Mary. Jewish, Greek, Roman law all demanded that Joseph divorce, and that's the word you've got to use for it, divorce this betrothed if she's guilty of adultery. And and you think about it too from Joseph's perspective. If Joseph knew, there's a pretty good chance, living in a small town of Nazareth, that others knew as well. Uh, That means if he married her, his reputation is then harmed. They would have assumed that he's the one that impregnated her, um, and this wouldn't wouldn't have been viewed as you know serious as adultery, but it, it certainly would have been something that reflected back on him, uh, on their future marriage, um, knowing you know the, of all the townspeople, oh you know they're the ones that got pregnant before they were they got married. You know there's there's still that really big stigma there. There's there's um, that sin that would have stayed with them. Plus, the shame he already felt from believing she did actually commit adultery. Um, Re- uh, Keener shows some, some records of some instances where betrothed uh, committed adultery and, and what that meant for the families. Uh, it, it communicated that uh, the husband was inadequate or that the families had made poor choices of, of who to uh, bring together as as mates, so it reflected not just on the the husband, but on the families as well. If Mary had actually done this, and really up to this point, you know, if Mary does this and then comes to Joseph and says, "Hey, this is the Holy Spirit's doing. I, I haven't actually committed adultery." There's really no reason for Joseph to trust her. Historically, in these kinds of situations, men wouldn't have spent any time alone with their betrothed at all. There's, there's not this like intimate relationship that Joseph and Mary would have had, uh, built on trust and, and time together. Um, on, on top of this, you, you've got the really, you know, we've got this really interesting historical background, but there is no doubt the the theological significance behind what's happening here. We could get into Isaiah seven fourteen, which is uh, what's what's being quoted here in verse twenty three. Um, but maybe the one thing I'd like to point out is um, the fact that the the prophecy speaks of Emmanuel, and Matthew gives you the the definition. Uh, the translation of what that name should mean, because you might not know it. He says it means God's with us. He's making a, a Christological, uh, a divine point here. The angel as uh, Jesus is God. God is going to be with you. But what's really cool is it kind of forms this inclusio, which means that you've got something like bookends. You've got the the front side of the book and the back side of the book. Well, the front side of the book here is that Jesus' name will mean God is with us. At the end of the book, in chapter 28, you have Jesus. The last thing he tells his disciples is, I will be with you always. Really cool. Joseph's story is interesting. It's all part of Jesus coming into the world, the incarnation. Uh, As we sit back and we wait for Jesus' second coming, working hard, 
um, to the day he approaches, uh, we're able to look at these things and just kind of bask in the glory of it all, that God had worked these things out. I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.